0: All right, so I had, like I mentioned, I have two sons. They are seven and five. They are a lot of fun. And, you know, I take um, really seriously the responsibility of being a father to them. And one of the things that kind of as they grow becomes really apparent is I have to introduce them to the classics. Now, what I mean by classics, I mean like, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, The Hobbit. The Lord of the Rings, but I don't mean just, you know, the movies, you know, the books, but you know, the movies are really a lot of fun. So I think about too, like, when will they be old enough to watch Indiana Jones? What about the Goonies? Or even, you know, which is the hottest one? When are they gonna be old enough to watch the Star Wars saga? Now I've gone online to figure this out, And there are guys out there writing whole blogs on how old your kids should be, at what speed, what rate of the movie, right? Like, which episode do you show first? I haven't done it yet, so if you have any tips, let me know. I'll definitely appreciate it. But a few weeks ago, I ended up introducing them to one of the classics. Now, before I do that, um, I'll tell you guys a little bit about our family. Our family, you know, two boys, and since from a very young age, they have been introduced to dinosaurs. They love dinosaurs. And their first introduction to dinosaurs was Barney. Now, I have a picture of Barney up here. Um, are you familiar with Barney? Now, I'll be completely honest with you guys. Not the most attractive thing you kind of get to, but Barney became really awesome at our family. and. As a parent, you will figure this out. You end up watching anything your kids watch. So, you know, it's not that bad. So, uh, you know, we watched Barney and I, I'll say, you know, they grew, you know, they grow and they kind of outgrew Barney. And continue loving dinosaurs. Just thinking about it, loving on dinosaurs. So I thought it would be a great idea to introduce them to the Jurassic Park movies. so we did. And let me show you guys a picture of... (laughs) Now, you can imagine, you know, my five and seven-year-olds, the three of us are in our basement, it's dark, and we're watching the movie, and... I don't know if you remember the first one. You know, it's kind of starts really calm and a lot of fun and they're like riding around and you have dinosaurs all over until we meet our famous T-Rex here. Now the kid, you know, the, the boys were just, you know, they, they want to impress their dad. So they're like, we're not scared. You know, we're not scared, we're good. Well, as the movie progressed, they started asking me, is he gonna eat that person? Or is he gonna eat that person? And you know, as a dad, I wanted to keep the suspense of the movie going. So I didn't feel like it was the right thing for me just to say, don't worry about this. These are the people that are gonna die. You know, and it had been a few years, so I couldn't remember exactly, you know, what was gonna happen anyways. But then they got to the point of thinking, are they gonna eat? Are the dinosaurs gonna eat the kids? Right? That's the biggest thing. And they're asking me, and I'm like, Man, I can't tell them. You know, this is going to ruin the movie. And, and to be completely honest, you know, I didn't tell them. But I said that, I don't know. I don't think, but maybe. So the, the suspense kind of ended. And I'm pretty sure that when they become adults and young adults, they will definitely need therapy for this. They already started having nightmares about dinosaurs and asking questions like, how, how did people live with dinosaurs? You know, they're just trying to figure it out. How does this work? And I don't know about you. Um, I didn't grow up, you know, with a lot of knowledge of the Bible. So as I read the Bible, a lot of this stuff was new to me. And there were times while I was reading the Bible that was just scary. You know, it was just like, I do not understand this. It's just too unpredictable. It's overwhelming. Now, we're gonna talk about one of these passages today. And I hope that it will help us have a new perspective about God because sometimes I think that we have this view of God that he should be like Barney, domesticated, safe, predictable, under our control. Or as life progresses, we have this image of God that is like this maniacal, random Unpredictable being that is out there just to get me. And I truly believe that this passage helps us see a new picture of who God is and how he relates to us. Now, if you're there, Matthew 19, uh, you know, the parable starts or the story starts uh, around verse 13. And here, what you have is Jesus teaching. And he's teaching. And his disciples are kind of working as bouncers. And they tell the kids, don't, don't go close to Jesus. You know, don't go close to Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 14, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to to such as these." Now, can you kind of see Barney here? <laughs> it's like Jesus loving on the kids, it's just so much fun, you know, it's just so safe. But right after that, what happens is that a young, successful person comes to talk to Jesus. And he asks him a question about, what do I need to do to be saved? What What should a good person do? And the answer that Jesus gives him sometimes is really hard for us because Jesus says, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and follow me. Now, I read that and I'm thinking, Jurassic Park, T-Rex, Jurassic Park, T-Rex, this is scary. And over the years, I've heard so many um, people kind of discount that interaction. Although never felt like I could understand it, that I could comprehend it. And today, I want us to kind of focus on what does it mean? Is God a T-Rex? Or is God Barney? Or is God somewhere in which would surprise us? Jesus says on verse 26 of chapter 19, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I want to say this. It is in God's hand. The question is, do I trust him? The rich young ruler, the young successful person that interacted with Jesus, was not able to trust him. If you go to the next page or the next chapter, chapter 20, verse 1, here we have Jesus tell a story that will help us have a better understanding of what this is about. Now, this is a very simple story, very earthly story, very common context, in which gives us a very deep spiritual lesson. The Bible calls these parables, but it's really like using things that we all understand to understand something that is very deep about God. And this parable in particular is about, in a way, about God's generosity. So let's read it, verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out again. He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, he told them. You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long All day long doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, let's slow down here and look at this passage further. So, verse 1, it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, early in the morning means 6 a.m. Now, these folks were hard workers. They were... Prepared. They were not slackers. They're the people running at 6 a.m. You know, when I'm driving at 6 a.m., I'm having to go somewhere, and I'm barely there. I should not be driving. I'm so groggy. And these people are running. They're like probably in their fifth or tenth mile of their run. And to be completely honest, I look at them, and I'm like, I envy them. You know, I just wish I could be like them. You know, I look up to them. But the reality is they're successful. They're doing everything that they need to do to take care of their families. They are working really hard. They're there up and early. And there is a part of me that kind of looks at them and kind of thinks of them a little superior. It's like, they get it together. Now, the passage continues in verse two. It says, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, I don't know about you, but I usually don't have any denarius to um, pay stuff with, although you can actually buy it on eBay, although I don't know if they'll actually send you a real one from Roman times or just one that they minted you know, really recently. But a denarius meant that that was a daily wage or what a Roman soldier would get paid for a day's work. Now, this was a fair wage, And even a generous wage for someone that would just work at a farm for that day. And what it meant was this, that this person had job security. This person had the security to know that tonight my kids are going to eat. That they will have a place to sleep. This was a huge deal to actually have that security, to have that kind of peace. Now, the passage continues, verse 3. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Did I... Verse 4, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Like I said, you know, I kind of look up, you know, to the 6 a.m. guys, you know, um, pretty recently I saw, you know, a couple of guys running, it was like snowing. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can do that, but you know, they were, I'm, pretty sure, you know, they, they have not ever, you know, worked out ever. They usually decided to do it that day. No, they probably do that all the time. But, you know, I'm more, I, I kind of see myself more as a, a 9 a.m. kind of person. You know, I'm, I'm a good worker. I show up, I do what I need to do, but, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm I'm a reliable person. Our our society kind of needs that, right? You know, we count on people that are reliable, that at least they show up at 9 a.m., the the right time. You know, 6 a.m., you're just overachiever. 9, you're good. That's what I tell myself. Maybe you guys are just (laughs) judging me. just like, you work at 9 a.m., you're just slacking. Now, our culture counts on these people right? You know, you count on those friends that show up, that are there. Now, the, the passage continues. Uh, so, he, so they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. Now, my first reaction when I hear this is like, where have you been? It's noon. It's three in the afternoon. Were you just kind of sleeping in? Does that make sense? I already have like what's going on here? I'm looking down on the noon and 3 p.m. people, to be completely honest. I think that they're like slacking off, but you know, that's okay. I have some suspicion toward them. But the parable, the story doesn't end here. It continues and it says, verse six, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, my human reaction here is that I do not like the 5 p.m. group. I'll just being completely honest here. I think that they're creating excuses. They're saying, nobody hired us. I'm thinking, where were you at noon? Where were you at 9 a.m.? Does that make sense? I'm kind of thinking about them, I'm suspicious, I'm thinking, you're probably lazy. You know, you're just probably just hanged out and you enjoy being here with your friends. Now, our culture blames and resents these folks. And I only say that because that's what I do naturally. You know, it's to think like, what, you're just showing up to work at 5 p.m.? That's not, not okay. Well, I want you to listen to how this story ends because it might surprise you. It utterly surprises me. It's not the way that I uh, usually respond or react. And I do think that it points to something really special and really important for us to recognize. The upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven. Things don't fit exactly the way that we think they should fit when we're thinking about God and His kingdom. So verse 8, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a full real denarius you should you know if you're seeing this in a movie you have the jaws are just dropped you know everybody's like what happened here does that make sense you know people are just like blown away their minds are just like nope this is too much so verse 10 it continues So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. Pause here. They had been working The full 12 hours, six to six. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Oh my goodness, I read this and I'm like, that's my heart. That's where my heart goes. It's like, it's me and them. It's me and them and I think I deserve more. I worked harder, I deserve more. But this passage just kinda blows my mind because in reality, I buy into something really powerful in our society and I like it. I'll be honest, I like the idea of merit. That people do, they work hard and they get what they deserve. But Jesus is presenting an upside-down kingdom here. It doesn't fit the way that I see things. See, this passage highlights my judgment of those that are different than me. It also shows how God sees people in ways that I do not see them. God is able to see people in ways that I do not see them. He continues, verse 13. But he answered one of them, talking about the vineyard's owner. I am not being unfair to you. I am not being unfair to you. I am not being unfair to you, my friend. Friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Aren't you envious? Because I am generous. This is so hard. You know, this message, this passage is like, whoo just need to slow down and think, wow, this really goes deep into my heart, and God is trying to do, like, open-heart surgery. He's trying to change things that are, like, just, like, they should make sense. So let's break down these few verses here. So here, you have verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, Friend. See, when God looks at me and you and all of his creation, he sees friends. He sees you and me and he doesn't say us and them, he says friends. See, the kindness of the landowner wants me to just kinda hang out with them. You know, I just want to spend time with him and I hear my father saying something that is really, has been really powerful for me this week. <sighs> See, I've been hearing God say, I have not distanced myself from you. I have been here all along. See, sometimes my own ways of thinking distance me from God, my own pride. He continues in the second part of the verse. Don't you agree? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take, it, take your pay and go. See, God has been generous to them from the beginning, from the very beginning of the day. And one of the things that I've been really challenged by this passage is that it is calling, and he's calling us to gratitude, to recognize that Since the beginning of the day, God had provided for them. Now, I I had a a personal experience that has really shaped, you know, God's kindness and generosity. I don't know about you guys, but I do not like to admit when I'm wrong. Anybody else there? Worse yet, I do not like to admit when I've hurt someone and have harmed someone. And I have to confess it to you guys. I have harmed people, deeply. And God has been working in my heart to transform the way that I see people so that I can not only you know, seek His safe, um, His salvation, but also to recognize that I could step and try to make things right. So I had the opportunity to go uh, meet with this, this person that uh, I had harmed, and to tell them that I regret and that what I did was wrong, and I expected this person to turn to me and say, "The yes, and I expected this person to be harsh, and I expected this person to give me exactly what I deserved. But see, I did not expect that God had not just my interest in mind, but also that person's interest in mind. He not only stopped at transforming my heart, he worked on the heart of that person as well. And I was met with forgiveness and grace and joy of a relationship that had been restored. And I'll be completely honest with you guys. The only thing that I could feel afterwards was gratitude. Not just for that person extending that grace toward me, but recognizing that that grace came from my Father, nowhere else. See, he continues, also, verse 14, the second part of the verse. I want to give the one who, has, who was hired last the same as I gave you. See, God wants to be generous with all. He wants ge- generosity to be part of all of our experiences and that we all can accept and receive it. See, I hear my father saying something that has really impacted me this week, and that is, My generosity does not end. It keeps on growing. I see things, I think God sees things that we don't see. He continues, verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? I believe that generosity is at the core of who God is. And he had the right to keep his own money. He had the right not to hire anyone else for the rest of the day. Hire the nine o'clock people, maybe hire the nine AM people, and then just say, All right, you guys agreed, you do the work. But he had their interest in mind all along, all day. And then he ends with this question. Or are you envious because I am generous? And that is such a hard question because it highlights and it shows my prejudice, my entitlement, and my envy toward those who are different than me. But see, as followers of Jesus, he calls us into radical generosity. He calls us Or he invites us to not only enter this kingdom, but participate and extend this kingdom that is upside down. See, I say uh, radical generosity because I'm accustomed to regular generosity. Now, regular generosity for me is being generous to people that are close to me. My family, my friends, those that look like me, those that talk like me, those that behave and like things like me, that is regular generosity. But God is calling me, and I believe he's calling us, into something very different, that is upside down, that is radical. See, God refuses to let us stay on what is regular but I think that he did something that kind of paved the way for us. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he said these words that have on a daily basis transformed my heart. Not my will, but yours be done. Every single morning I have to stop and say, you know God, I want to live my life this way, but not my will, yours be done. Not my will, not my ways, not what I like, not what I desire, but what you desire, what you like, what you will. See, God refuses to fit into to the Barney box. You know, He refuses to stay on this corner and say everything is okay. And I, I wish I could even. I, I'm glad I forgot all of the songs. You know that it's kind of disturbing. But he also refuses to stay into the box in which I want to put him into of the T-Rex that is just out there to get me and it's unpredictable and harmful and that it doesn't have my best interest in mind. See, you may not feel this way, but we are a group of young people that are very wealthy. And, you know, successful. And this passage has challenged me in ways that has forced me to think and rethink and not let it go. And I I hear something that's very powerful here. And that is, God loves me. He cares for me. And he is for me regardless of what I think. Because I don't know about you guys, what I think changes probably like 100,000 times a day. Does that make sense? I wake up and I think, oh, God loves me. Everything is great. And then the day goes on and just changes. I had to recognize that, you know, that, that doesn't work that way. God loves me regardless of what I think. He is God, I'm not. See, before realizing this, I had so much fear. And it's so easy to have so much fear about what God will do. Sometimes that fear comes across in, in so many ways, but for me in my life, It has been in delay, sometimes a delay. So God is calling me to something. He's calling me to be generous, and I fear that. I fear that maybe he won't take care of me. So I delay, and I say, yes, I will surrender when I get into my university choice. I will follow your direction when I start my dream job. I will forgive when I'm forgiven. I will do the right thing or I will after um, the right girl comes around. I will after I get into that prestigious position. I will after the kids are grown. I will follow you after I retire. I will after, and you can imagine this, you can fill in the blank here. I just want to delay, not because God has changed, but because I'm afraid. Ultimately, I've had to come to this point of accepting the fact that he is the source of everything good that has come to my life. He is the source. And if I'm able to see it with gratitude, if I'm able to see it with gratitude, I'll be able to step into this new way of living. There are some uh, researchers at Duke University that did some research on generosity. And what they found was this, that generosity flows out of gratitude. It's nothing that you need to do extra. You don't need to work hard at becoming generous you need to become able to see with gratitude. That's it. You don't create this whole program, you just start slowly seeing how God has blessed you. So what do we do with this? How do we step into gratitude so that God can do something with our lives? I have four things that I would like for you guys to be doing uh, this week and weeks to come if you find one to be really, really helpful. But four things that would be helpful for us to develop a heart of gratitude. Now the first one is to journal. Now this journaling is basically writing down every single thing that you're grateful for. Just write a list. Sometimes that list will be really small. But as you gain practice, that list will grow. And you can do that in about 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes, write down as many things that you can think of that you're grateful for. The second thing is one that I think is so helpful for me, and that is a gratitude walk. So when I get anxious, when I get stuck in my day, when somebody says something that is hurtful or that I get kind of off my center, I pause and I go on a walk for 10 minutes. Take these 10 minutes and use this time to focus on gratitude. Just on what you're grateful for. Now, the the, the third thing that I would like for you guys to to try is to, instead of writing down words like you would in the journal, take pictures or draw something that represents your gratitude. Now you're a group of people that are very artistic and what I want you guys to do is to kind of use that um, artistic creativity of yours to do that, to just create something in which you can see Sometimes that can be so powerful for you to actually to be able to see what you're grateful for. Now the third thing that I would like to recommend for you guys, um, I would recommend you doing it only after a while, after you've been doing these first three before and getting practice. Now this one, it's a gratitude visit or a gratitude letter. Now what this is is you would think of a person that has impacted you deeply and has transformed the way your life is coming uh, to become. And then you write a letter to them that expresses how grateful and how appreciative you are of their influence in your life. And then you use that letter to read to them or better yet, you go visit them. And you read this letter to them, and I'll be completely honest with you guys both of you will be crying. Okay, there is no way you're gonna do that. Uh, well, maybe some of you guys, I don't know. But, you know, if you do that and then you don't cry, come talk to me. <laughs> I, I wanna end with a full disclosure. Generosity is risky, okay? Radical generosity, doing this, stepping into this is very risky. So don't do it on your own strength. Okay, don't do it on your own strength. Just don't go like, all right, I'm just gonna do it. Rely on your father, he's your friend. He's a friend. He's not Barney. He's not the T-Rex. He's a friend. We're going to stand up now, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time for us to respond. There will be folks in the back that will be available to pray with us, to... um, give us a space to start this conversation and as we do that as we go to the table and as we and you can stand up I did I (laughs) that's an awkward moment right it's like oh do you stand up Andrew you you did right okay thank you you're my friend I know you you hanged in there a little bit (laughs) But as you're with your friends or with someone or in the respond banner, what I want you guys to do is to think about this question. Where is God calling you to be generous? Is it financially? Is it relationships? Is it your possessions? Is it your influence? Is it your time? Be specific. Now share with someone how you're going to risk stepping, stepping into generosity and gratitude this week. So let's pray, and then we're going to go to the tables, and we're going to come to our Father as a friend and share a meal. Heavenly Father, we come before you realizing that you are an amazing friend. You're a kind You're generous. You have our best interest in mind. I ask, Father, that you be with each person here because the reality is sometimes you're scary. Sometimes life around us is scary. And it's really, really hard to trust you I ask God with our hearts open that you come and comfort us. I also ask, Father, that you come and help us see how much you've given us. Starting with your Son. Help us surrender everything Thanks for being our friend and our father. In the name of Jesus, amen.